Welcome to the Legendarium. Can you tell me? Because I got to the point where he hops on his horses, Hitler and Himmler, and rides off into the sunset. And I'm going, what in the world is happening? Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome back to the Legendarium Podcast. My name is Craig Hanks, and I am your host. And over there, he's a guy I couldn't even be bothered to insult today. It's Todd Wenty. Wow. No insult? Nah, no insult. I mean, the thing is, Todd Wenty is the only other panelist in the room today. And I just thought, you know, it's not worth it. Is it enough of an insult that I'm the only one showing up? Is that what you're saying? I think it's more of an insult to Orson Scott Card than anybody. Ooh, wow. But I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not sure about that. Uh, but before <laughs> we get to the book at hand, I do want to run through a few items of housekeeping. Um, first of all go to patreon.com slash legendarium and support the show. Uh, and I have a little bit of uh, something to show today. Uh, today I am operating on a brand new piece of equipment, something that we were able to purchase thanks to our patrons at patreon.com slash legendarium. It is a brand new processor for this microphone. And so what you'll notice is that whether I'm speaking in a normal voice or if I get a little bit animated later in the podcast and try to <laughs> strangle Todd. It will happen. It will. It, my voice will not uh, <laughs> burst your eardrums or your car stereo or whatever. Uh, and so this, this it's a very cool compressor that we've purchased for this mic. And I'd like to get a lot more <laughs> because we need one for Todd's laugh, quite frankly. <laughs> And uh, anyway, so it, it is thanks to our patrons that we were able to do this. And so hopefully the audio quality will be a little bit, uh, if not if not better, kinder. It will be kinder Ooh, audio quality. What a quality. nice way to say that. Yeah. So thank you very, very much to everybody who has supported us and uh, to everybody who will in the future. We are very, very appreciative. And, uh, and the other thing that I'll mention is go to our uh, Reddit page. Uh, it, thelegendarium.reddit.com is where you can go join the conversation there. I did want to um, bring up a few comments. We So we hit 300 members in the subreddit. Really? And uh, yeah, and so there's, there's some really good conversation <laughs> happening on there. And you know, I mean, compared to some of the big subreddits, of course, that's nothing. But we have... I'm, I'm just impressed we have our own subreddit. I really <laughs> I know, right? It's, it's crazy. <laughs> no, but the, but those who are there have a lot of fun interacting and I love it. And uh, so what I did was when we hit 300 members, I said, to celebrate, tell us who your favorite panelist is and why. I cannot tell you how tickled I am that we all got votes. Yay. Everybody got votes. Um, even Megan, who you remember oh, from yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the Stormlight series. Uh, so she got votes. It was great. But there, the best part was Todd continues to be the most hated and revered panelist on the podcast you either you either love todd or you hate him i am polarizing that's right you are you are the donald trump of this podcast i'm going to make our podcast great again <laughs> that, that was bernie sanders uh it was I, bernie sanders quoting donald trump there you go there you go that's wow that's like inception <laughs> levels of uh of meta there all of it icky <laughs> uh so yeah one one person said um oh where is it where is it uh oh sometimes this unnamed person cough todd 
thinks they are saying something deep and insightful, and my eyeballs start rolling so hard into the back of my skull, I almost veer off the road. Uh, and then they say that uh, it's my cynicism that brings them back to the podcast. And then the next guy responds to that and says, Todd is a saint. You take that back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, both of you. I'm glad that I'm bringing out the best in both yeah. of you. <laughs> so we've we've been doing a lot of uh, a lot of Wheel of Time lately, and, and Todd is not participating in that particular series. And so I know a lot of people have not missed Todd, and a lot of people have missed Todd. Uh, but I'm I'm super glad that you're back. I appreciate and, it. Uh, and glad that we read this book because it was, uh, it'll be an interesting one to talk about today. This is gonna, I hope this is going to be a fun one. Yeah, today we're talking about Treason by Orson Scott Card. It's also known as A Planet Called Treason. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, I'm, I'm trying to get my timeline right here. He published it originally. He published A Planet Called Treason in 1979. It was his second published work, uh, mm-hmm. or novel at least. And then, what, 10 years later or so, maybe a little more. A little, little more than that. He uh, republished it. He reworked it and uh, and added about 10% new material, he said, and, uh, and republished it under the name Treason, simply Treason. And it, so we can talk a little bit more about that. But that's kind of the history of where this came from. And it, and it, is, it is definitely Orson Scott Card through and through. <laughs> And I'd never read it before, so I'm excited to talk about it. But had you read it before this? I had. Um, I'd read it um, about 15 years ago. Um, so, you know, what, what early 2000s. Um, when, so when you were like like 50. I, thank you. Sure. Let's go with that. <laughs> um, when, I was, when I was acting like I was 50. Um, so, yeah, I'd read, it, I'd read it about 15 years ago. And... Uh, absolutely enjoyed really really enjoyed that as a as a level one book as a as a ripping good yarn um but coming back to it this time having a chance to to look at it a little differently especially now that Mm -hmm. we talk about level two and level three stuff um i i read it a little differently and i have to admit there was uh there was a lot i don't know whether it was because i was reading uh, treason the first time or a planet called treason the first time i don't remember if i think i read his rewrite the first time as well um but there was a lot that i had forgotten um and so it was fun to come back and and catch some things that i had uh either blocked from my memory because it just wasn't worth it or uh completely spaced because now that i'm almost 70 and getting alzheimer's that's just what happens <laughs> Uh, so I, I had some real trouble actually tracking down anybody who could tell me the differences online. I was trying to find the differences between the original and and the remake. Uh, do you know if there's some list out there or I, I do you looked, know anything about it? I looked for a list as well. I, I, in fact, I went back to, uh, several sites that are Orson Scott Card sites mm-hmm. to try and find specific things that Orson Scott Card said that he had included because he wanted to clear things up or what what some of those pieces were. I couldn't find a specific list. Um, but going back and and looking at what I read this time and what I read last time, I think it was more about um, detailed sections and uh, a little bit more exposition as far as some of his uh, some of his in, uh, inferences and interpretation especially mm-hmm. because i being an orson scott card book there's there's no way to look at this without dealing with a lot of his political 
perspectives. Yeah. They just show up and they, they, it's a major part of how he writes, a yeah. major part of why he writes. And this book is absolutely rife with uh, lots of, of uh, pseudo preaching of Orson Scott Cardology. Oh man, the uh, the first Ender book, Ender's Game, yes. was it, it definitely had that stuff, but he was able to work it into the story really well. It was integrated really well, and then you read the rest of the Ender series, and it it's just nonstop. Oh yeah, Orson Scott Card coming at your face. Well, and and this book has this book certainly has a lot of that in it, and. Um, when I when I when I read this book, I'm I'm able to. It's very obvious that it's an earlier work of Orson Scott Card, even right. with the rewrite. Um, well, and he did say when he he said I went back and I wanted to flesh a few things out, but he said I tried really hard not to make it make the writing better per se. I tried to come at it from the same with the same level of writing that I had before, which I thought was interesting and really odd yeah uh, you know he didn't want to improve his work necessarily he just wanted to flesh out a few ideas clarify yeah um and i th- i think really that's uh it, it bears out in in the writing when you when you go back and you re- and or at least when i went back and reread it um i i found myself um recognizing that this is this is a uh, the the early point in Orson Scott Card's career. He he wrote it uh, wrote it originally in 1979. Um, at that point in time, he would have been what about 28, 29 years old. Was he that old at that point? Yep. Okay. Uh, born in 1951. So okay. yeah, he's you know 28, 29 years old. Um, very very much um, very much beginning his exploration into science fiction and. Uh, political philosophy, which tend to be the two directions that uh, that all of his writing takes. Um, uh, some of his more recent work has been more about um, uh, dystopian futures based around uh, political uh, political intrigue that happens within the United States. And of course, many of us are attracted to Orson Scott Card's uh, science fiction takes on Ender's Game and and all of the pieces that fall within that. There's also there's quite a bit of of science fiction that Orson Scott Card has written that doesn't get quite as much attention. This is one of those, and I'm glad that we chose to do it. So maybe we ought to do a quick synopsis. Give us a rundown of uh, of what happens in the book. So from this point on, major spoilers. Not that, I mean, honestly, who cares? The book is 40 years old, and and it's only like it's less than 300 pages. Yeah, it was a quick read. Yeah, you if 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 you're if you're looking for something to do on a lazy afternoon at the lake, this is a uh, and you're not going to go swimming. First off, why are you at a lake? Uh, but second off, this is probably a good choice. Can you tell that we're from Utah? We say go to the lake instead of go to, go the, to beach, the beach, right? <laughs> but I was just I was just at the uh, quote unquote beach on Saturday, and it's a reservoir up. You know, it's it's uh, seven thousand feet in the air, and it's this big reservoir. That's what we do in Utah. The beaches are rocky. The lakes are cold. Oh my gosh, my feet just about came home ripped to shreds. I was like John McClane walking around on this uh, on this beach. I love it. I love it. All right, so I gotta. I, I this is this is coming from two different directions. One of them is a uh, a. The first part is mine because I had so much fun thinking about this, and then I just said, you know what, I'm not going to be able to do much better than anybody else. So All the right. second part of this will be from somebody else's review. Um, imagine the outrage of a democratic republic betrayed from within by academic elitists 
performers, thinkers, and others who favored a clear and clean rule by themselves. Imagine the chaos that could result if they were able to stage a coup or some other type of takeover attempt. Imagine the outrage the rest would feel when they failed. No, we aren't talking about American politics, though it almost sounds like we could. No, we're talking about Orson Scott Card's A Planet Called Treason. All right, that was mine. And like I said, I was having fun with that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and here's here if, if you're trying to figure out what the book's about, here we go. Lannick Mueller's birthright as heir to the planet Treason's most powerful rulership will never be realized. He is a rad, a radical regenerative, a freak among people who can regenerate injured flesh and trade extra body parts to off-world oppressors for iron. For on a planet without hard metals or the means of escape, iron is power in the race to build a spacecraft. Iron is the promise of freedom, which may never be fulfilled as Lannick uncovers a treacherous conspiracy beyond his imagination. Now charged with a mission of conquest and exile, Lannick devises a bold and dangerous plan, a quest that may finally break the vicious chain of rivalry and bloodshed that enslaves the people of treason as the off-world never could. Nice. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, that yeah. was beautifully okay. taken from the back jacket of a book, I'm sure. <laughs> so, yeah, Lannick. I, I actually, the book is so short, I couldn't remember his name off the top of my head. <laughs> yeah, it was the, the... Well, he only uses it in the first chapter and then the last chapter. Call him the protagonist. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, Lannick, he can regrow body parts, and, and everybody in his nation can, and it's I, it gets real freaky because... Not everybody. Well, everybody, everybody in that the is royal of, family. In the royal family of the of the of the true birthright. Right. Um but he sort of uh he becomes like you mentioned a radical regenerative which means that his his uh he has a mutation or uh, some brain fault or something that says now he his body doesn't know which parts to regrow and which parts not to regrow. Yeah, and so he just starts sprouting limbs. And the book starts with this. Uh, I think he's like sixteen or something when the book starts. S- sixteen years and, old, and supposed he, to be coming out of puberty, and his body is supposed to be slowing down, growing bizarre organs and body parts. And instead, he grows a pair of huge knockers, <laughs> so he gets kicked out. Uh, it's it one of one of and I I was terrified. <laughs> I no, no no no. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Because um, I I thought I was gonna have to go through three hundred pages of nineteen seventy nine Orson Scott Card talking about like transgender issues, and I was just like, this can't go well. Yeah, um, Orson Scott it, Card writing about a hermaphrodite in 1979. I'm not sure where that falls <laughs> on the list, but so you know, I'm talking about science fiction. All I'm saying is that he's not always the most sensitive person in the world. Um, but anyway, no. so I was kind of terrified about that, but that stuff got left behind pretty quickly. And and there were some interesting things. I thought it was pretty interesting when he first gets kicked out. He's on the road, and suddenly he has to deal with roadside rapists. Who were like, oh, hey, check out this chick with the huge boobs. Let's rape her. And he's like, no, I'd rather kill you, please. And so and he does. kills them. <laughs> um, you know, so that that's, you know, there's some interesting commentary to be made there, perhaps. But uh, yeah, that stuff got left behind eventually. You know, and the really, the, for, for me, uh, reading it the first time through, I got to that, I got to that part about three pages mm-hmm. in. And, you know, they're talking about, these are breasts, Malik, Atlantic. And I was like, oh, wow, this is... Orson Scott Card at his finest. I'm not sure what to do with this. Well, I don't think anybody says this is him at his finest. And uh, the 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 thing that I really appreciated about it, though, is that the, um, and and 
for those that listen and, and have listened before, uh, they, they know, and I'm sure you do too, about how much I like that science drives the conversation, not just that oh, it happens boy. in space. Yeah. Um, but to, to start with the idea that a eugenics program could result in individuals being able to spontaneously grow body parts as interesting as the... Uh, as as a as a guy growing breasts uncontrollably in his you know in his in his body, uh, more interesting to me was his description of the pens, where uh, where he would oh, sit and watch all not, of the not the rads, writing, not the writing utensils but the uh, the pens where they kept okay. the radical Cages. regeneratives, uh, where they were where they would wait until they could be harvested. Yeah, so that's they could sick. sell the body parts off world. I was like, oh wow! Every Soylent Green movie that I could think of started yeah. popping into my mind, and this is just the first ten pages. Yeah, it was pretty gnarly stuff. Yeah. And at a certain point, he starts to he says, "Oh, I, I think I'm growing a new arm out of my shoulder," and you're like, "What is going on here?" <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Uh, so yeah, eventually he he goes on a journey. The first half of this book is nothing but a travelogue. And then yeah. the second half of the book, it turns into a, a sort of um, a weird political commentary. And there was a little bit of politics in the first half, but mostly it was like, it was, it, I went to this people and I learned this thing. And then I went to this people and I learned this and yeah. et cetera, et cetera, until he gets back to his homeland. And, and then, then there's a political a, crisis. Yeah, then it becomes a political thriller. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe not so much a political thriller as it becomes a political bloodbath. Um, <laughs> just, was, I gotta say it was, it was that second half when he got to the political stuff. Yeah. It was just as childish as some of the stuff in the first half that was not so political. It, the whole book was very juvenile. Yes. Um, and simplistic. Simplistic is probably a really good word. Maybe for the it. better, maybe the better word, simplistic. So yeah, I I I rolled my eyes a lot as you know, being the cynic on the podcast, of course. Well, and and the other thing that was interesting, I think, about this is that um, there was very little that was um, gray in this book. You, it, it was either really you you were de- you were dealing with either wonderful people. Uh, you were dealing with uh, one, wonderful people who were, had very self-centered perspectives of themselves, mm-hmm. or you had very evil people who had very self-centered perspectives of themselves. But with the exception of Lanik, you don't have anyone dealing with the gray that I, that I think at least uh, is a, a hallmark of real life for most of us as we go through our lives. We try and do, we try and do things that are, that are good. I think for most people, we try and do the right things, the good things, the best things while still balancing that self-interest. Our, our founding fathers had, had a great idea about this idea of balanced self-interest because they knew we'd do it. Um, and in this book, the only person who seems to do that is Lanik. Everybody else is either really, really good or they're really, really bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of the juvenile aspect of the book yep. is yep. And your main character is imbued with perfection, essentially. And it is easy writing, which I think, again, goes goes very clearly to the fact that this is an early book. And it's an early work for Arson Scott Card. He's working very hard at it. Um, you you compare and contrast this with um, with some of the characters that show up in some of his later works. Um 
and I think you, I think you get a feeling for the fact that, that, um, he starts to recognize, he starts to find ways to make his characters more flawed and to make his worlds and his conflicts more real. Um, I think part of the reason that he may have chosen, of course, you know, this is me. I, 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 I've not sat down with Orson and, you know, said, Hey, can you tell me why you did this? But, <laughs> but I think part of the reason that he, that he may have chosen to put it in a world without metal, um, is because this this keeps civilization from advancing. Um, you don't have communication technology. You have to rely on some of these things. <laughs> the things that we would normally see in a in a fantasy novel um, would would not bear uh, would not would not be able to be maintained in a science fiction novel unless there was a reason for it. Well, he found a good he found a good way to insert that and be able to make. Uh, all, and be able to play with both yeah, fantasy yeah. and science fiction in the same book. I, I guess I was going to wait to bring this up because I I didn't want to crap all over the novel right up front because I do have some good things to say about it. <laughs> but I this is a, as good a time as any to say that as well. this book, not science fiction. <laughs> not at all. Just because, I mean, it, it it's not even soft science fiction. It's fantasy through and through. If it were science fiction, he would have attempted some explanation of how they uh, they manipulated the genetic code to you know to regrow limbs or how the Schwartzes talk to rocks, so, right? And so, but the the explanations that he gives are either incredibly vague or very mystical. Mystical is a good word. For yeah, it. yeah, yeah. And so, I don't care that people in spaceships dropped off the families 3000 years ago. And like, so he mentions spaceships a few times and he mentions the ambassador, the box that it's that magic star Trek box that you put something in and, and you, and you get iron out, start the microwave and then you <laughs> pops out iron. Yeah. Um, so like, I, I get that he mentioned a few pieces of technology, but no, this is not science fiction. This is fantasy and i will not be dissuaded from that position fantasy with a with a veil of let's talk about it as well, though it were science the fiction thing is like i i think it gets um it gets shelved as science fiction because it's orson scott it's card. orson scott card it, it's in in the same way that a lot of that a lot of space opera gets called science fiction because they have to classify it somehow. Right. And there's, there's a, I, I think if Orson Scott Card had continued writing, uh, had taken this direction and said, ooh, I had so much fun writing about swords and knives, I think I'll write something that's more fantasy. Mm -hmm. I think he would have been recognized as a fantasy, a political fantasy author. Right. But because he, he wanted to do this in a way that allowed him to to say no, this is this is in the future. This is why. This is how it happened. This is what it's all about. So now I'll start working with all that other stuff, and that's why it gets grouped with science fiction, in the same way that that uh, other kinds of of uh, space opera, which I love, yeah, as a as a genre, gets grouped with science fiction. Right. It's, the the science doesn't always drive the fiction in science fiction. And this is one reason why I um, I mean I'm kind of making a little bit too much hay out of the classification here, the genre classification, but because it, it's kind of fun to yell at publishers or whoever for calling this science fiction. But ultimately, um, this is one reason why I advocate poorly, uh, but I advocate <laughs> for a sort of abolition in people's minds between 
uh, or of the difference between science fiction and fantasy and and other types of speculative sure. fiction i don't know what word would work best as a catch-all i use fantasy uh, but in my mind, yeah, it's all speculative fiction. It's all fantasy. This yeah. is all set outside of the normal boundaries of current human uh, life, right? One of the things that, that um, and, and again, I guess I, when I look at it, I look, and, and I, I, I look at it as him starting to experiment with some of the things that he will work with later. For instance, his time travel piece. Uh, his working with time in in this one as a result of the, the uh, this time in Kukwe, um is is a really interesting uh, piece to lay side by side with what he does in Past Watch later on another Orson Which Scott Codd novel, uh, one that has not been read an awful, an awful lot, uh, or at least by most of the friends that I have that have read Orson Scott Card, right. they're like, oh yeah, I've read Ender's Game. Have you read Past Watch? No, I haven't. Um, Past Watch is a very different kind of time travel um, book um, but but I look at the two of them and I recognize oh he's playing with the idea of time manipulation here and he fleshes it out differently over here the same thing with um, with looking at the eugenics process um, he looks at eugenics with Mueller well he starts one direction, but later on as he's talking about Ender's Game, he starts talking about breeding programs, about controlled birth rates, um, which are, uh, in most cases, driven from a eugenics program or a eugenics process. Um, while we don't, while in Ender's Game we don't necessarily see a push toward breeding programs, we do see... I thought that was more population control. We do see that they watch what kinds of... Uh, results come out of it right. and that Ender uh, is a result of a very interesting line of genetic pairings. He is the droid they're looking for. He is very, he is very much our only hope. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and so some of the things that he starts playing with in Treason, he winds up coming back to and using some of these ideas later on in, in other kinds of manipulations. So I really, I, that's that's another reason why I like it, is that it was his chance to play with lots of stuff with no apologies. Yeah. What age would you give this to somebody? 14. Really? Yep. That young. I And, and the reason that I would say 14 is because um, the, uh, the, the violence is not as um, gory. Mm. And as, um, wait, are you serious? As some that I've read, yeah. Oh, okay, um, all right. Maybe I'm just not as well read in the gore section of the sci-fi shelves. Maybe not. Mm. Um, <laughs> um, uh, the the or or maybe I should say uh, as as graphically clear and as gratuitous. Um, there's certainly a lot of there's certainly a lot of fighting. Um, where's Ken for the punching? He would love this. Um, <laughs> there's the, the sexual material is not over the top, although they refer over and over again to some of the things that go on with that. Um, it's again, not gratuitous and not terribly graphic. Um, there's not a lot of, um, there's the, the political intrigue is enough that for a 14 year old, they can begin to grasp the ideas behind it without needing to be, 
without needing to be dumped completely into what makes a real good political thriller. Uh, and it's about the right length for yeah. a 14-year-old to be able to get into it, have some fun, come out of it with some ideas, and then be able to say, oh, that was interesting. I think I'll pursue that more. Well, okay. So back up a little bit. Uh, I agree with you about the sex. It's not over the top. It's um, it's present, but not in your face. But the violence. When he is in... what what uh, Oh, shoot. He leaves Mueller. He goes through Allison, and he ends up in the Ewok village of... What are they called? Oh, um, the Nkumbai. The Nkumbai. Okay. Uh, and then he's trying to escape and he uh, runs into a guard and they're tangling in this net and the guard disembowels him. Yeah. Okay. I but le- only one. I left some <laughs> I left some intestine with the net and the gut still connected to me tried to lurch forward out of the gaping wound with every step I took. Are you kidding me? Uh, and then at a certain point, so he's his body is healing itself. Uh, that's kind of their their magical power because this and, is a fantasy novel. And spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Oh well, spoiler <laughs> alert! So he's wandering through the no- or through the forest, and he's trying to like keep his guts in, but his body is healing itself. And then, uh, it, but some of the intestine is still outside of his body as his body is healing. And then the intestine itself starts to grow a second person around it. A new, and a so, new Lannick. And so as he's wandering around, <laughs> he's like in this, in this delirious state of shock. And yes. he's having these like waking dreams and everything. And he dreams that he's holding a baby. And then he comes to and realizes the boy was whimpering. The boy was real. And the note that I wrote in the margin there was, and I quote, WTF. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says uh, 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 so he freaks out he's like oh my gosh I, there's another person growing at last we were separated because he cut the essentially the umbilical cord which yep. was his own intestine at last we were separated my body was weak from having created him but with all the strength I had I brought the stone down on his head again and again its head it stopped crying and the broken skull poured brains i was sobbing from the exertion from seeing myself die i threw down the stone and fled into the forest and the marginal note that i wrote there i quote was w t f this is disgusting it was so gross anyway i didn't I, and and i guess maybe and it was it was it, it's not like it's not like, oh, I need to put this novel down or something. It was just, you know, when I picture myself at 14 reading that, I don't know how I would have reacted. Oh, at 14, I was I'm totally okay with that. Yeah, yeah. Of course, by the time I was 14, I had read The Forever War by Joe Hadelman. Uh, and that's probably one that we ought to look at it yeah, at some point to. in time because... It's pretty nasty. Well, let's just say that the first three pages... I learned more swear words in the first three pages of that book than I think I had learned at that at that point in my life. Uh, so maybe maybe it's just me at fourteen that would yeah. have that would have found this not quite so offensive. You know what it, what it felt like was um, there was another moment. This is a, a different moment. I think he's on the prison ship uh, or the the slaver ship. Yeah, and uh, and he says um, that that arm that I mentioned is growing out of his back. And he says, he could scratch himself. By now, the arm flexed involuntarily, <laughs> tickling me on the back. It was going to be a long trip. And I thought to myself, you know, after after 
the after the boobs and then after the secondary man child that he grew and then with the arm scratching his own back uh i was i i I thought to myself i think orson scott card came up with this idea these people that could regrow body parts and then the radical regeneratives and all that and he was just kind of it was like an exercise like Let's take this to every possible logical conclusion and go there. Each one. What of, would what would happen? What is the result of this sort of power? Each one of those powers that that are that are explored seem to be that everything except the Nkumbai when they're talking about faster than light travel, and that one is one that I'm I, I'm still trying to figure out how they just sat there and thought of faster than light travel. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm 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 struggling with that one. Yeah, it's baloney. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> but but all of those powers seemed to be whether whether you're talking about Schwartz, you're talking about Anderson, uh, you're talking about uh, Mueller, all of them have these these abilities that are pushed to a logical and absurd extreme. Uh, and again, it it is it is very clearly. I I wondered originally if this didn't get born if the if the idea for the book didn't get born in a creative writing class. Yeah, that's um, I haven't I haven't found any information to to solidify that. Maybe I just haven't looked hard enough. But it feels that enough. way. But it does. Um, very much like uh, uh, a piece of Sanderson writing that uh, that the that we read uh, w- that was all dialogue. I think uh, I think you were the one that recommended oh, that. Oh yeah, we haven't talked about that. But it it was it was something he was like I yeah I wanted to write it in an evening and and oh gosh what was that Some, I, somebody will tell us on reddit I, I'm sure they will it, and it and he said I was I was always toying with the idea of someone who could see the grammar that people would use <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and and there are parts of this that feel very much like these were extensions or these were these were things that he had jotted down in a notebook from a creative writing class and he came back to write them and said, ooh, this might be a fun place to play with that because I've created this world where I can do whatever mm-hmm. I want. And, you know, if I were to come to this idea, you know where it would have come from is a place of absolute abject terror. When you think about the Mueller's and their ability to regrow body mm-hmm. parts, a, it, one of my absolute worst fears is that I will lose a body part. And I, I don't, okay. I mean, this happens to lots of people and they go on with their lives uh, to varying degrees, with varying degrees of, of uh, ability. And so maybe it shouldn't scare me as much of it as it does. But even the idea of like losing half my pinky finger or something like that just scares the absolute garbage out of me. I get it. Um, anyway, and so if, uh, so I could, I could imagine myself sitting down and saying, okay, what is my worst fear? Now let's make a, a character and a people who have overcome this fear. Uh, that that would be how I would get to it. Interesting. Anyway. Interesting. Uh, what What's your, Todd, let's get deep. What's your worst fear? What is it? <laughs> We're going to have our own writing class here. We're not going to have a writing class about my worst fear. <laughs> I, I don't think I want to talk about my worst fears today. Um, I, I already know what your worst fear is. It's Nazis. Um. <laughs> And I got, I which, got, which thankfully made no appearance in this book. What was that about? <laughs> Can you tell me? Because I got to the point where he hops on his horses, Hitler and Himmler, <laughs> and rides off into the sunset. And I'm going, what in the world is happening? Oh. And I, there wasn't any. Uh, I mean, there wasn't any other mention of Nazism or anything. Well, like. well, um, well, I mean, I listened to the audiobook. 
Okay. And for Schwartz, they all spoke with a slightly German accent. Oh, no. <laughs> now, again, I don't know if this was something that Orson Scott well, Card was there and said, hey, will you do it with this? Will you do these with a German accent? <laughs> if they were, if their name was Schwartz, then they would have been German Jews. You would have thought so, right? And uh, him riding off on the horses. On Hitler and Himmler. Hitler and Himmler, that... <laughs> creates an odd dynamic again there there if this was not uh if if this was not born Mm. in some kind of a writing exercise i'm i'm fascinated uh if it was born in a writing exercise i'm still fascinated but for totally different reasons (laughs) right right um and yet in the midst of all of this he does some wonderful level two stuff and he does some great level three stuff. So tell me where for you, because I think there's a lot of levels two stuff to talk about. But mm-hmm. um, for a few minutes, tell me where you found the level three stuff. So and now it, to remind our listeners, level one being the pure action, the pure entertainment type stuff. Yep. Level two being political and social commentary. Level three being personal betterment. Uh, or personal commentary on on human nature, yep, and that sort of thing. So um, it's in his last time, his last trip to Schwartz, um, where where I feel like he does most of his exposition. There's there's a beautiful piece that he does in Kukwe um, when he's walking away from Serana and he's talking about how she has made a choice to separate herself from from all of humanity. Uh, and in an effort to live forever. But what that really means is that she will eventually die forever because when the sun finally burns out, I mean, he does, he's, it's a, it's a beautiful poetic thing and I should have, I should have highlighted it. But again, when you're listening to it, it's a little tricky to highlight it sometimes. Um, but he, he talks about how um, separating yourself so completely from other people uh, in whatever, in whatever fashion you do leaves you isolated in a way that is just uh, indescribable. Uh, and and in some ways, I would say, I would say, I would use the word sin um, as a as a voluntary uh, offense to humanity. Um, but in Schwartz, when he's when he's talking with the people in Schwartz about um, about the necessity of taking action, um, it was a place. While this certainly could be uh, very easily connected with it, with the political aspect of things. Um, it feels very much like a commentary about what we as what we as human beings owe to other human beings that we cannot stand by, that we cannot simply uh, watch suffering. Um, it felt very much, uh, and I don't know how much this is uh, fair, but it felt very much like um, the kind of television commercials that I used to see on Saturday afternoons. Uh, with the guy that played Trapper in uh, in Trapper John M.D. <laughs> You're so old. <laughs> I know I'm so old. Thank you very much for reminding me. Um, but, you know, the, the UNICEF commercials, you know, how can yeah. you see this child and not take some kind right. of action? Um, but he does it beautifully, and he's, he's quite eloquent about it. He also spends a lot of time talking about how Lanik, um, and it's after he has sunk into the earth, and sunk past the bedrock and sunk into the magma and figured out how to ask the earth to allow Anderson to be swallowed. Um, and he creates all of this kind of stuff. Kind of fun, right? Kind of fun. Um, but then he talks about the consequence, that every action has a consequence and that he has to hear 
Um, the the earth, screams of Anderson. The earth, not just of Anderson, but the, the screams of earth as it realizes it's been turned into a sword, um, I think was the phrase that he used at one point. Uh, or no, it's uh, that Schwartz, Schwartz talked about him making the living rock his sword. Um, or helmet did. And uh, uh, the, the idea that you then have to carry that with you. He ends the book really nicely with another, uh, for me, um, and, and perhaps not for everybody, uh, whoever it is that is rolling his eyes at every insightful comment that I make. Thank you very much. You're <laughs> entitled to your opinion, even when it's wrong. Um, but he, he, ends the, he ends the book with what I thought was a, a real nice um, bow put on this entire thing, but especially good for a level three bow. My only hope was this, to see what might be, to believe that it should be, and then to do all I could to bring it to pass, whatever the cost. When a life spins out as joyfully as mine is done, then the price once paid so painfully is now recalled in gladness. And it feels very much like that is a, um, that that is a, a, a kind of an epitaph. And uh, I wonder if it isn't one that, he hopes for himself or since Scott card hopes for himself might be something that he can say at the end of his life. Yeah, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Um, okay. Well, so let's talk then about the level two, because that's <laughs> kind of where this book lives. It does. Is it, in level second, two, the second half of the book, <clears throat> the second half of the book really lives in level two. What? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd say parts of parts of, uh, the first the half, first half. The yeah. first half hints, but he's spending so much time doing the exposition of the of the um, of the different families and the yeah. different things that yeah. he's going to learn. And so, in the second half of the book, he meets back up with his father, um, and he's he's been uh, he's been largely cured of the radical regenerative thing that was plaguing him in the first half of the book, thanks to the Schwartz clan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he meets back up with his father and the rest of that Mueller country that he came from. And, uh, and he finds out that his, uh, his weirdo intestinal double, (laughs) his doppelganger, his, well, uh, his intestinal ganger has (laughs) been leading an an opposing army in battle and he has to chase them down and, or run away from them at first. So he goes to the forest of Kukwe where he, so he's learned, uh, he's learned how to, speak to the rocks from the shorts and now he learns how to control the flow of time or at least the perception of the flow of time uh from or i can't remember exactly how it works control the flow of time around him around him right and so then he learns that from kukwe and then the the finale of the book is when he confronts the anderson clan and they and they <laughs> this is this is Sorry. this is this of, is where I say it gets a little bit juvenile because of all of the of all of the powers, the one for Anderson, I was kind of like, really? They are dun 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 master politicians. <laughs> oh. They can make you believe anything, even if you don't want to. <laughs> That's so pathetic. No, but so uh, this is for me where was, it became fantasy rather than science fiction. There was some there was some good stuff in there. There was some good stuff. Um, I and I yeah, I don't mean to. No, I do mean to crap yes, all over you that do. part. Yes, yeah. you do. Because come on. <laughs> come on. And and the best part is the way he finally figures it out is he goes to Anderson and almost gets killed while falling in love with a beautiful woman who's not really a beautiful woman. 
Oh, man. <laughs> anyway, no, I just... By the way, that part was exactly as I remembered it from the first yeah, time I read it. That's funny. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there So there was a little bit of political commentary there. And it, it wasn't like, I, I, like I've kind of alluded to. This was not terribly insightful. No. The overriding theme from the second half of the book really like the the last third maybe was politicians are bad and that's about as far as he gets yes the i i thought the other stuff with um with the doggone it what are the the ewoks what are their names and kumbai the and kumbai that was a little more insightful uh the stuff with uh, the the Kukwe was a little more insightful. Anyway, so I I was left wanting by the Anderson period. The yeah the 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 political intrigue is um very um surface. Yeah, yeah. It's it's and 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 it works really good for a three hundred page book. Again, it works really good for a fourteen year old. Uh, Maybe. This is this yeah. is the level of political intrigue that a fourteen-year-old can deal with. Okay, maybe um, because you don't you don't have to think about um, lobbyists and uh, all of the different machinations that have to go in in into something as complex as installing someone on a throne to make everybody else just believe it. Right. Um, however, during that, uh, during that piece, he does some really interesting level three commentary. One of them that I liked was when he was talking about, uh, about his habits betraying him. Um, you'll remember, in fact, one of my favorite lines was, um, uh, it was, it was when he was in Britain and he was talking to, uh, to old man Britain after he'd been in humping for a year. Um, yeah. Right. What, what, what kind of a name is that? But anyway, um, and he, he said, after talking with him for a little period of time, I'd become myself again, Prince Lannick of Mueller. And I vaulted into a horse. My habits betrayed me at the, at, you know, came back to me so easily. And unfortunately, sometimes they betray me, which is exactly how they were able to capture me and kill me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I remember when I got to that part, I just, I laughed out loud. I was like, okay, uh, thanks. I appreciate that. That's, that's funny. <laughs> um, and, and again, this is, you know, I, having read enough Orson Scott card, I see, I can see these little moments where he, th- it's his sense of humor and it was, it was kind of fun. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, I think we've already hit on most of the stuff that I wanted to talk about. Uh, but do you have more bullet points you want to bring up? I'll just check and make sure that I've hit all mine. Um, one of the things that he talked about that was really interesting was his um, his perception of Gill, uh, the city of Gill. It was really fast. It was very, very short. Yeah. Um, but he said something that was really interesting, and it was more of a level two commentary. But he said as he looked around, um, he realized that the city looked like it was always slightly hungover. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and he wondered if cities were always this bad or if they just appeared this bad to people without money. Ooh, nice. Yeah, I do remember that. And and I remembered I remembered as as that piece was going by, I thought, Oh, nicely done. I wonder where you were visiting at that moment in time. Were you in was this a memory? New York or something? Was this a memory from your mission? Was this a memory from from visiting New York or something of that nature? I I, I found that a very interesting Did Orson uh, or did Orson Scott Card serve a mission? Yeah, I know he's Mormon. 
I, but did he serve a Mormon mission? You know what? I thought he did. I haven't looked. Yeah, I, I, don't I haven't know. looked up. Yeah, he did make mention at one point of uh, having of the time having gone by that he'd spent two years away from all of the people that he loved, and that he'd felt like he'd lived an entire lifetime. Oh, okay. um, and yeah. I I read that and I thought, hmm, that sounds very familiar. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing that I found. Um, that that I that I really liked um, was his investigation um, or his 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 internal thought process where he was talking about he finally understood that the world didn't abhor killing it just didn't want to have to be part of the killing um, and he talked about the world understood that that there would be living and that there would be dying and that the the world could accept that it just couldn't accept that there would be so much killing all at once um, and that that was his way of being able to come to terms with the fact that he could ask the world that he could kill if he needed to if it was the right thing if it would end other lives a, 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 a very interesting while it's not necessarily political it's a very interesting um, uh, a, a very interesting philosophical perspective that a lot of people right now are dealing with. I know a few people who um, are concealed carry uh, advocates. Uh, I know a few people who are not concealed carry advocates. And the interesting thing when I when I uh, we should probably against each other explain that uh, to oh. because we have a third of our listeners overseas. Con- That's- concealed carry is the debate in the U.S. about uh, whether you can carry firearms. Uh, so if you can carry a gun, you, you have to get a permit to carry it in a concealed manner. Anyway, sorry, go on with your point. The the interesting thing is that, uh, and and I I have on occasion uh, been responsible for pitting the two sides against each other to to converse about you that. evil genius. No, no, not an evil genius, <laughs> just an evil individual, because um, it doesn't take much. Um, but it's a it's an interesting conversation about. Um, the necessity of of ending bad things by doing bad things. Um, it's so when, what you're talking about, I just want to spell it out because I don't like riddles. Uh, what you're talking about is uh, in the event of, uh, say, for instance, a horrific mass shooting, it's going to be the person carrying a gun who stops that so in whether it's a whether it's a cop or a bystander or whatever and it's the one who has the ability to do that that becomes either the hero um or the villain um in in lanik's case or the hero this city deserves <laughs> thank you batman um or this the hero the city earned um the 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 interesting deal for for me as he's dealing with that um is that um he he recognized that, uh, or or as he was going through it, Lanik says has said to himself, "I realize that just because you don't kill, doesn't mean you're doing the right thing." Um, and that was his big that was the the big turning point for him personally about whether or not he should get involved, get reinvolved in this process. Yeah, that's always been a bit of a a bugaboo for me. It, it's uh, you can do. The right thing for the wrong reasons. Uh, you can do the wrong thing for the right reasons, it's, and and finding where where right and wrong intersect and and uh, bisect 
it's uh, it's a trick of life and of course i haven't figured it out but i and 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 i know people who feel like they have and everyone who feels like they have has yet to to prove to me that they <laughs> that, that's truly accurate. have yeah all right uh cool well i uh, i checked i don't think i have any other bullet points except my final thought so are we ready to move on to final thoughts i'm good yeah okay uh my final thought would be this uh i loved this book despite all of the uh the manure that i've shoveled on top of it i had a really great time with it and i'll give you a couple of reasons why first would be you know what i miss i miss self-contained fantasy novels Really? Yeah, yeah. You're sitting there. You're staring at 14 <laughs> volumes of uh, of uh, Wheel of Time. Yes, I no. And, and I just heard that the beta. I, I read Ken's comment that the beta of uh, of Oathbringer, Oathbringer Sanderson <laughs> number three is 25 percent longer than number two. Oh my goodness! <laughs> no. Anyway, it's not. Uh, look, I love series. I mean, I'm I. My favorite uh, writing of all time outside of The Lord of the Rings, which is a e- series, exists on another planet for me. Well, that's a book, but uh, <laughs> no, but my favorite is Mistborn, and it's three, yeah. it's three large books, right? So, anyway, I'm, I'm not saying I don't like series, I just it seems like that is the only mode in which fantasy authors are now allowed to write. Yeah. is in extreme long form. Yep. And so I really liked that this was 300 pages, like you said, kind of in and out, uh, gives you a few interesting things to think about, and then it gets out uh, of your head and you're done. Um, and one of the side effects of that, however, is that um, is that you could, it would be really easy for a modern reader nowadays, uh, well, what modern, this was only 1979, but it would be really easy for a modern reader to get angry at plot holes. And sure. there were a few times when I thought my, I found myself kind of rolling my eyes a little bit and saying, Oh, come on. This is, this is a planet without easily accessible iron. Tell me how they got any technological advancements like the ones he's talking about. How do you continue studying genetics? How do you continue studying physics, et cetera, et cetera. Come on. Um, or, you know, you can get to the social stuff. It's like, it's been 3000 years and everybody on the planet still speaks the same language. Uh, uh-uh. no, not with how, not with how isolated all these groups are, or for that matter that, uh, all these families get dropped off 3000 years ago and they all immediately segregate and start fighting. Come on. You know, there was, there were things like that. And, uh, and I miss the exercise that I used to have to do more that I had to do with this, where you just stop and say, no, that's not the point. This is not that kind of book. This isn't the kind of book that is trying to paint a perfect picture of a secondary reality. He has a point to make and he's going to use this story to make it. Sure. And you can accept or reject that point. But this isn't about that kind of world building that we're so used to nowadays with something like Lord of the Rings, Wheel of Time, uh, uh, Stormlight Archives. What's the, the Patrick Rothfuss one, Name of the Wind? Anyway, so does that make sense? It does. I really like that exercise. It's a, it, and it, it is a, a little bit of a lost art. Um, I, I think I started reading um, the Xanth books um, and... In, in those, you've got a, an expansive treatment 
of a different reality. Um, Piers Anthony, um, if I'm remembering correctly, had a had a series of uh, the incarnations of immortality, um, five books that that addressed different aspects uh, of of creatures that controlled life. I mean, we we've we we seem to graduate from novels into these long, expansive series. Um, and whether it's because of the commercial ramifications that the authors are pursuing or, or the that, publishers or the that publishers matter. that are that are saying, wow, this is really great stuff. If you can turn it into six books, we got a deal. Um, I, I don't know. Um, I know that there's a lot of really good writing around those kinds of things. Um, but I thoroughly enjoyed being able to get in, read, uh, think and get out. And feel like it was okay, that it was enough. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So So you recommend the book? Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately I do recommend it with How old would you say somebody needed to be before they read this? I don't know. I asked you the question without <laughs> having an answer prepared. Um I I probably would have just said late teens instead of the earlier teens. Okay. okay. So um yeah, I mean fourteen is fine. I guess the thing is when I think back on my own life, I was reading Michael Crichton at the age of 10 and like, and I was fine with it. Sure. As far as, you know, content goes, I'm not saying I understood everything I was reading, but like, you know, but I, I dealt with it whenever, you know, sex or language or violence came up, it was fine. Um, so yeah, I, my instinct is to say, maybe you're a junior in high school when you read this. I don't know. Um, all right. So we'd better rock and roll. Okay. Gotta get out of here. We're coming up on our hour, so I will once again mention uh, the legendarium.reddit.com, which is where you can go yell at the two of us for what <laughs> we have just inflicted upon your ear holes. More particularly me, I'm sure. <laughs> and, uh, well, I was speaking more of the content there, but uh, also I should bring up the audio quality. So, you've now had an hour to listen to this sweet new... Um, uh, this sweet new compressor uh, and processor that I have. And so if you, because I've been keeping a close eye on our waveforms here, Todd, and I know <laughs> that I my voice was remarkably even in everybody's speakers. And mine was not. And yours was not. No, mine mine was mine. So anyway, we, <laughs> we are working on fixing that um, and, and bringing you a little bit more pleasant uh, audio experience. And so if you do want to help us get to those goals at patreon.com slash legendarium we have obviously already started the process of upgrading our gear uh, but you can help with that every little bit counts we had a, a, a one dollar per episode donor come in today and i cannot tell you how grateful i am for somebody who donates one dollar per very episode. cool thank yeah. you very much it's it's awesome so Thanks, everybody, and uh, if you haven't yet, go ahead and, and go read Treason by Orson Scott Card, or if it's sitting on your parents' shelves somewhere, uh, go get A Planet Called Treason. <laughs> uh, Thanks. Thanks, Craig. Thanks. Hey, well, whatever. All right, guys, we'll see you next time. I think it'll be not... Uh, it, yeah, it'll be a week and a half or two weeks before we do our next episode because I'm going out of town. Um, I'm going to go do up Vegas right nice. Uh, I don't know what that means. We'll see. But I'm going to Vegas. So I won't be here for next weekend, and we'll get back into Wheel of Time after that. He'll come back with a tattoo and a monkey. 
and a monkey or a tattoo of a monkey? Um, yes. <laughs> All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.